Hi, I'm Katina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. And today we're going to talk about the five ways you know you're headed to burnout from dealing with the narcissist. Okay. And so number one is that after casting out hundreds of demons sent to you by the narcissist, you take off running as soon as he sends you a threatening message. Okay. Now in scripture, Elijah read Jezebel's note and he peaced out. I mean, he jetted as soon as he read that letter, right? He didn't even take time to think, to gain perspective. You know what I'm saying? And when it comes to people who have narcissistic brokenness, they are unpredictable as far as when they're going to do what they're going to do, but they're predictable about what it is they're going to do. So when it comes to those type of people, you are often getting threatening messages. That's part of their MO, right? And that demonic spirit that's controlling them, right? Has them to respond the same way each and every time. Once that spirit gets them all charged up, right? And it's taking over. Like I said, it's, it's kind of a uh, oppression and possession in a certain sense, right? And so that spirit gets them going. And nine times out of 10, when they start threatening you, it's flushed. And I would say 9.99% of the time. If it's not flushed, you will know fluff rather. You will know in your spirit and you can take action. But 99.9% of the times it's fluff. But that thing that happens is when you have not rested, right? When you don't have a plan for dealing with, when you drink a fat cocktail, and I say fat, fat means fear, exhaustion, and trial, right? When you drink that cocktail, and you have not gotten any rest, right? You're not taking time out to rest in God. One message will send your emotional, uh, spiritual, physical, mental system out of whack. You will go haywire, right? And so um, Elijah didn't take time to think reasonable. He had fought all these battles. He just defeated 400 and something false prophets of Baal, right? And so he did all of that. She sends this notice and he dealt with Ahab. <laughs> Ahab was a vulnerable narcissist. So he dealt with Ahab, killed all those prophets, right? Had just used his faith to perform a miracle where God sent down a uh, fire from heaven to prove that he was the one and only true God so that the Israelite people could go back to worshiping him. And he let this little old note from Jezebel get him all revved up, right? Okay. And then you did the same thing. You were praying against all these demonic spirits against this narcissistic individual that you uh, left. Either he discarded you or it ended up being a reverse discard where uh, he sabotaged the situation so that it got to the point that you ended up either putting him out or leaving from uh, the marital residence. Right. And so uh, you fought against that through prayer. You prayed out Psalm 91. You prayed against the black capes that were literally following you. Because remember, when you are on the battlefield with a narcissist, you are in a spiritual battle for your soul. So you prayed against the black capes. You prayed against the spiders. You prayed against the pins and needles that you felt in your body once he left, as if he was sending some type of... Uh, demonic curse your way. You prayed against all of that and you saw God move. But this one note sent you haywire. Why? You had not rested. You didn't have a fat plan. You did not have a strategy in place for dealing with fear, 
exhaustion, and having a uh, compounded trials, right? And in scripture, it says, then Jezebel sent the messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as is the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So in other words, she said like you, those prophets you killed, your life going to be the same way. And that's what sent him going after God gave him all that victory, right? <laughs> With the fire burning up the sacrifice and then gave him all that victory and killing 400 and something prophets and in dealing with Ahab, but you let one individual cause you to run amok. You see what I'm saying? But that's what happens when there's lack of rest. Number two, you leave all of your support system at Beersheba. And for Elijah, it was Beersheba where he left his servant. For you, whatever the name of that town is, that city, that state, that country that you left, your one or two people that is your support system. You left them there and took off on your own. And there are several ways that we can react when we're on the battlefield with a person who has narcissistic brokenness. One of the most common ways, okay, of reacting just to problems when they arise in general would be isolating ourselves from everybody. We go in hiding. And so Elijah did the same thing. He left his servant at Beersheba. And then it says he took off running for a whole day's journey. Think about that. To run for an entire day without stopping. That's a hot mess. <laughs> the scripture in 1 Kings 19 and 3, it says, then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Your narcissistic partner's flying monkeys have informed him, okay, just like Jezebel was informed by Ahab of all of the uh, prophets who were killed by Elijah. The narcissist flying monkeys inform him about how you are protecting the life gates of your mind, body, and soul, and how you've decided to cut certain people out of your life that never should have been there in the first place, right? And all the things you're done, doing and have done to strengthen your side, you know, your opposition, right? They let him know you set up boundaries, right? That you've done all of this. And of course, they're going to make sure that they tell every bit of that information to uh, the narcissist because what? He is what? Their ringleader. So of course, he's, they're going to report back. It's, that's not your concern, though. Your concern is doing what you need to do by responding, right? In a healthy, <laughs> a healthy uh, emotional fashion, right? Not reacting, but responding. But when we don't have a FET strategy plan, remember FET is fear, exhaustion, and uh, trial strategy plan, right? For when we're going through and have that cocktail that we've drank, when we don't have a management plan for that, we react instead of responding, right? And sometimes we just need a person next to us to say, you know what? Do you think this is wise? How you think your kids are going to be affected? Have you prayed about it? Right? And then for them to even ask you, if you just up and go to another state, do you think that your children are going to be able to adapt to this? You think it's going to increase their trauma. This is another major life event. You've just had a divorce, right? You've dealt with, uh, they had to deal with also the reality of who their father is. They've had to deal with narcissistic abuse from him. And so now you're taking off and moving them to a new place. This is another major life trauma. Do you think this is wise? It's always good to have someone 
next to us to help us to second guess. And sometimes we're going to do what? We're going to get defensive. We're going to feel that aggression in our bodies, especially from trauma. You'll get defensive and then be like, well, at least you'll stop to think. But when you've left your support system at Beersheba, there's nobody there to help you to think, right? You just take off. You go to another state. You go to another country. You know what I'm saying? All of this madness, right? And your kids have already have gone through enough drama at this point. Number three, you know you are headed toward burnout from dealing with a narcissist because number three, you are attacked by a suicidal spirit. Yes, I said it, a suicidal spirit. Failure to implement a plan for dealing with fat, fear, exhaustion, and trials, right? will lead you in the direction of opening up yourself to suicidal spirits. And when you don't have those strategies in place, like I've said several times now, that's what it's going to lead up to, right? And so it's just like having uh, a stack of dominoes, right? It's just going to be boom, boom, boom. When you have fear, exhaustion, trials, right? And those trials are compounded from one thing after the next. You see what I'm saying? So then what happens is, like I said, it's that domino effect of us reacting rather than doing what? Responding from uh, our best self, so to speak, right? And then when suicidal spirits hit people, they make them, It's not they. sometimes they can make them want to kill themselves. A lot of times a suicidal spirit could just be you hoping that you would die, that you just want to die. You see what I'm saying? You're hoping and praying and asking God to just let you die. And that's what happened with Elijah. It said, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came out and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now. Oh Lord, take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. Elijah was beside himself. He was dealing with distress. He was disillusioned about his status. He was disappointed in God. He went from a flight trauma, uh, flight system trauma response, right? That the stress response system. He went from that to a freeze system of just shutting down isolating and wanting to be out of here just to be taken out. And the same thing happened to you. You don't think rationally, you pick up your belongings, get an overnight bag, tell the kids, pack up everything. We leaving. And you had three or four States open disillusioned about your status, thinking that you're the one you're doing this all by yourself. You're the only one that's going through stuff like this. You're disappointed in God and thinking that he's not helping you when you've left the person, the couple of people that could support you. Right. And then you take off, and you freeze by isolating yourself from others, your system begins to be completely shut down from the trauma you've been dealing with. And you're unable to think of the possibility of there being other options, right? Fear, exhaustion, and what? The compounded trauma, right? Fact, fear, exhaustion, and trauma, I mean, trials rather, have taken over that cocktail you drank, right? And that happened because of lack of rest, that resting in God up until this point, right? And Jesus tells us in the scripture, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see what I'm saying? But you've been resting in other things. Trauma makes you uh, take your identity and attach them to, attach it rather to people, places, things, and ideas, okay? And so what happened is that whenever we have anything going on, We've got to have a strategy in place to deal with it. Even when I talk about clutter strategy, your mind, body, and soul can be cluttered, right? You need a strategy for dealing with that, right? And so you also need a strategy to deal with fat, fear, exhaustion, trials, right? And the next thing I'm going to add into that, that fat really is, I'm thinking about, is the Holy Spirit moment trauma. 
fear, exhaustion, trials, and trauma. You need a strategy for it, right? You don't wait till something happens, but a lot of times we do. We wait till it happens and then we say, oh, okay, let me figure out what to do. No, we got to figure out what to do before it happens because otherwise Satan going to take over control of our minds. And you see what happened when uh, Elijah got himself in this suicidal spirit. Then he started up with the limiting be belief saying, for I am no better than my father's. So that goes back to him thinking he's not good enough. He's not as good as his father's, right? So therefore that led on to what? I'm not good enough, right? And it always starts with a lie that we believe about love, right? I'm unlovable because I'm not as good as my father's, right? So then that go down to, you know what I'm saying? My father was not good enough. And then I go down to, therefore, I am not good enough. The love we receive, right? Or our perceived love always leads to lies that we're believing, and then those lies always turn into limiting beliefs. Like he said, if I'm no better than my father's, right? And so, like I said, when you don't take the time to come up with a strategy plan beforehand and you take the time to rest in Jesus, then what happens? You're resting in other things. And then when you get a threatening note, something you normally would have been able to handle, it's out of control. You just up and peace out and you got your kids flying out like crazy when you guys have already been dealing with trauma, right? And nine times out of 10, when the narcissistic, uh, the ex left you, there was some dramatic ending. There's always a dramatic ending when you go to the very end of the discard phase. And that's why it's best to come out before that. Okay. Number four, the fourth way, you know, you're headed to burnout from dealing with the narcissist. God has to replenish your mind, body, and soul by getting you to a place of stillness. I like to think of that as a be still and no moment, right? So the only way you can put yourself in the situation of being able to make sound and good decisions, as I said, is resting in Jesus, right? And so what happens is that we think just physical rest is going to do the trick. You got to rest in Jesus by not only taking time out to rest your body, your mind and your soul and your spirit needs to be at rest, right? Playing sermons, reading books, listening to Christian worship, music, reading your Bibles, eating, sleeping, and then watch and repeat all over again. It's like washing and drying and folding clothes, the same thing over and over again until your spirit man and all the other things along with it are renewed, right? Failure to do so will probably lead to an emotional breakdown during this time. And that's because your emotional levels, uh, emotional health is already on high from dealing with the divorce, from dealing with the narcissistic abuse cycle all that time, and finally, once your body is away from that, even though you're having to deal with him because of court and or having children with him, you're still at a heightened emotional state, right? You're grieving loss, okay? And so it says in the scripture about Elijah, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And I already read about when he said, you know, it's enough. He wanted to die, right? But then when you go further, it says, behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. So that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's like the wash, rinse and repeat until your soul, your mind, body, soul and spirit is renewed. Right. And then he says, arise and eat. This is what the angel said to him for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. Forty days and 40 nights of horror up the Mount of God. You and your children have to shut everything down 
and rest your mind, body, and soul and do just those things I listed above, right? Some of those as uh, examples, right? If you need to get restraining orders, whatever it is you need to do, you know what I'm saying? In order to get this rest in Jesus is what you need to do, right? And like I said, but lack of a strategy plan will lead you to reacting in a situation you could have responded to, okay? Number five, this is the last one. The fifth way that you know that you're headed to burnout from dealing with a narcissist is stillness leads you to be able to follow and make reasonable uh, action steps, but you still got a vision problem. And you might be thinking, well, why in the world would I still have a vision problem? Trauma distorts your vision. You see what I'm saying? It makes you spiritually blind and distorts uh, your idea of God, your idea of other people, your idea of yourself. And not only does trauma distort your vision, but when you get infected with a spirit of self-pity, which is what Elijah had and what you dealing with at this point, that spirit of self-pity will also distort your vision. Self-pity has the word self in front, which means that what? You're only thinking about yourself and how you're going through what you're going through and nobody else is dealing with that. And um, you just, that wars me. I mean, you just lay all into that. And that's what happens, like I said, when we don't have a FET plan. And in the scriptures, it says, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. <laughs> and the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. <laughs> and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahola, you will uh, anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And you know what I hadn't read before is that, uh, I didn't read it actually, but it was three times that Elijah said almost the exact same thing. And the first time he said it was right before God uh, ended up eliminating all of that sacrifice that was laid up there, all of the the meat that was there for a sacrifice on the altar. He starts saying he was the only one left. That's your clue. When you start saying that you are the only person that's left that's doing it, you're doing this all by yourself. That is a warning sign. I promise you, when you start saying that and start being self-aware that you're saying that, that's to take note of. That means that you need some rest. You see what I'm saying? And there's no point. And even if you have dealt with that before and you see someone else going there, there's no point in trying to reason with them. You can let the, your sister know, you know what? I love you. I'm going to give you a hug. Take about two weeks rest and we'll talk about it later. Because while they're in that state, there's not going to be any type of reasonable conversation with a person that's dealing with burnout. I promise you that. Okay. And notice how, when I read it, that Elijah mentioned all those, those three things that other people had done. When we get so focused on saying what it is that other people have done and how we're the only ones doing what it is that we are doing, 
you get caught up with the spirit of blame infecting you. And you also, and that's comes from right then a narcissistic abuse cycle. You also get caught up with a spirit of self-pity permeating through permeating rather through your soul and spirit. Right. And so, like I said, Elijah didn't even catch that the first time he started saying that that was the time when it's like, okay, I need to peace out and rest. Right. And uh, like I said, it sets us up for focusing on blaming other people, friends, et cetera, family, and allowing the spirit of self-pity to enter our souls because we never had rest, proper rest. And did you notice how God never entertained what Elijah said? He gave him the solution instead. It was evident that after Elijah had that be still in no moment, his vision was still uh, blurred, so to speak. It was still distorted from trauma and drama and that spirit of self-pity. So even though uh, he responded and did what God told him to do, he still was responding with that same speech, saying the three things other, the people had done and that he was by himself, the only one doing it. God didn't even entertain. He just said, look, appoint this person, appoint that person, appoint this person. Whoever gets escapes from this person, this person going to kill. Whoever escapes from this person, this person going to kill. And it reminds me of when you think about the man that was on the mat. And he told the, when Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And he said, well, this person's not here to do this. And this person's not here to do that. He went into a split up spirit of blame and that codependency spirit. Jesus didn't even entertain it. He said, get up, take up your bed and walk. And that was the end of it. And it's a lot of times when he's not going to entertain, entertain our mess. It's like, do you want help or not? <laughs> this is what you need to do. You see what I'm saying? He took the attention off of that self-pity, the spirit of self-pity and the spirit of blame is what he did, right? And so uh, the same goes for you after resting and hearing from God, you start repeating the same thing over and over again, right? running back. I'm running back and forth. I'm the only one running back and forth to my children's doctor's appointments. And that might be the truth, but I'm just saying, I'm the only one doing that. I'm the only one doing therapy appointments. I'm the only one doing psychiatry appointments. I'm the only one taking them back and forth to school. And so when you start that, the devil uses that as a field ground to allow the spirit of blame and the spirit of self-pity to set in life and death and the power of the tongue. Right. And so, uh, God has to come to you and say, da, 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 and almost knock us on the head. Here you go. Boom, 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 boom. Give you four or five people as your support system to back you up. And it's best if those people are not in as traumatic as situations as you in, because it's just what? You're just creating a trauma field. You're feeding off each other like the blind leads the blind. It's good to have somebody going along with you, but it's also good to have people that's outside of that situation that can say, look, and give you a... Uh, a fresh perspective because they're further uh, along than you. They're far ahead, further ahead than you are, is what I'm trying to say. So that's a good thing to do, right? And so what I want you to remember is that you're enough. You're already enough, right? You don't have to go around being consumed with other people, but what other people are and not are not doing because that's not your situation. Considering fact, not even considering facts, that their lives are different than yours, right? Reclaim your power soul and identity today. You're going to grab your keys and get your inheritance. If anything on this video blessed you, please share it with someone else. I like to say we wear a tie so we can make an impact. That's the A tie dash I method. Analyze, troubleshoot, implement, empower, and then we're making an impact. Until next time, be blessed. He was the
much, so much for me.